amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Blog Talk Radio. Excellent show. Very excited that the NBA 
has arrived, and uh, we got a lot of good stuff to talk about, man. Looking forward to talking to you and Justin tonight. Yeah, man. Speaking of the NBA, me and you are in a fantasy basketball league, and it's 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 run by one of our guys, a mutual friend of ours, a guy we go way back with. And you know, we I'm sure you you signed up like I signed up. He hit you up on text and was like, "Hey, I got a league. You want to get in it?" You know how he would do it. Hey, I got a league. Right. Get in. And so we both jumped in the league. You know, like cool. Right. I'm all in. That's great. I'm good to go. Get in the league. It's got 20 teams. I mean, this is like the CBA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's wild yeah. categories, right? Just wild categories, like technical fouls. <laughs> yeah. Ejected. <laughs> you know, I'm not. Nah. I'm not hip to ESPN leagues set up. I've all. I've only done. Um fantasy basketball on Yahoo. So I'm not even hip to all the categories. I mean, cats get one point or a negative one point for uh, field goal attempts. <laughs> you know, so Kobe the other night, Kobe the other night, he shot, what, 14 to 37 for 39 points. I'm not sure if he had a positive night. <laughs> Yeah, man, it's, it's just it's, it's, it's mad wild. The stats are mad wild. I mean, ejections, I mean, I'm not sure about how to win that category. I'm not sure at all. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, <laughs> who's a good guy to pick up? I mean, you know, should I be picking up Ron Artest if he's a bad boy? You know what I mean? Is he like the ejection guy? Is it how many ejections I get? Do I want to get more ejections or do I not want to get more ejections? What if we both have zero? Then what? You feel me? So it's just a lot of categories in this particular league um, that are all over the place. So it'll be interesting to see how we both doing this. Again, it's 20 teams deep. So, you know, right now the waiver wire, I think Sebastian Telfer is the uh, top guy on the waiver wire. That's how deep this league is. I got guys on my bench yeah. who don't play on their real team. <laughs> Right. So, yeah, yeah. this would be this would be super interesting. Yeah. It's real thick, guys. Like in the league you and I play with, um, like like in your league, there's ten teams, I believe, ten or twelve teams, and guys that I drafted early in, say the second or third round, or maybe even the fourth round, they're going in the first round <laughs> in this league. You know, so by the time. And we have like 15 or 16 rounds, maybe more. So by the time we got to the eighth or ninth round, I mean, I know most NBA rosters, but I don't know them like that. And, exactly. I mean, you got to compete. <laughs> I mean, you're going to the fifth, sixth, scoring options on some teams, man. It's, whew. Yeah, I got I got a couple guys who are ninth man on their real roster. <laughs> right. That's how thick it is. Well, rounding out the booth tonight, we have our NBA expert, our, our resident wow man, uh, Justin Page coming through tonight, folks, sitting in for D. Wills. Justin, how you feeling, man? Gentlemen, I couldn't be happier to be on the call with you guys this evening. Uh, looking forward to everything we're discussing tonight. 
I, I hear your intro is about fantasy basketball, which is on sitting in my basement, newly uh, completed, watching three games at the at the same time right now, trying to keep up with my fantasy team, and uh, I could definitely provide you guys with insight in, into a very competitive league that I'm in, and, and I think that uh, it, it would be of some uh, positive influence for all of our listeners. Okay, we'll have to pick your brain a little bit first before we get into that. You got a new man cave. New Tell man cave. New man It was a long time coming, man. Five years. Uh, five years. We bought the house in '09, man, and it, it was bare bones, cement floors, no walls, no AC unit, no nothing, and uh, a lot of money later, and a lot of uh, compromise with the misses. And, and I was told, let me correct you. I can't call it a man cave. It's actually a completed lower living lever. Living, living level. <laughs> I, I, I was told plenty of times by my wife that uh, uh, animals live in caves, and this is going to be a sophisticated lower living level. But what I did, you know, just just to, just to give you a glimpse, you know, I got my uh, 110-inch uh, screen in, in the front and center with a, with a projector screen, with two with two screens on the side, so I could watch three games at once. Direct oh, TV nice. deal went up a hundred dollars a month just because of my setup down here. <laughs> wow. No, no kidding, no kidding. But I got the seventy inch behind me, you know, in case I want to play a little football. And then I got uh, another small one on the side just for the people who don't want to watch sports or who knows, we want to play five games at once. So <laughs> I'm, I'm a basketball junkie. It was, it was finished just in time. It's only been fresh. They were three weeks old now. Nice, excellent. That sounds like a uh, a high level, elite level, lower living level. You feel me? That's 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 some elite level stuff right there. You got you got some uh, elite features to that bad boy. Oh, I yeah, like that. I like what you did there. I would love for the real sports guys to come check it out. Maybe we can broadcast from here one day. Oh man, that'd be. That, I think that we're gonna have to put that get, get sugar on that. We're gonna have to get sugar on it on, on the horn with you <laughs> and see if we can set something up. You hear me? But we're glad to have you on tonight, man. We're going to go ahead and get this show rocking. We got a lot in store for the listeners out there. This portion of the show is known as the intro to let them know. Uh, we're going to get into the funky editorial tonight. We're going to talk about the role of athletes as role models and, and, you know, them being more of a moral compass. Decisions coming down on Adrian Peterson uh, with Ray Rice, um, his situation kind of taking another step and progressing a little bit. And it's from those guys to lighter situations like a Jameis Winston, Johnny Manziel, um, guys who have status, should they? You know, should we be propping up these athletes and putting them on the pedestals that they exist on in our social conscious? We're going to get into that tonight. We're also going to talk some NFL talk, get into this Brady-Manning rivalry. Uh, you know, the New England Patriots defeated the uh, Denver Broncos over the weekend pretty pretty soundly. Um, and we're going to talk about the perception between these two quarterbacks and where they stack up all time. Uh, we'll hit you off with the Resistance Digital Dog of the Week. Then we're going to get into some NBA action. We're going to start talking about the first week, our early impressions on the league of extraordinary gentlemen, as we like to call it around these parts. Um, and just some early trends that we've seen through this first week. Uh, and then we're going to hit you with the XL Academics last word. Again, all uh, guests and hosts are brought to you by Frederick County. Frederick County is the official accountant of the real sports guys. Make sure you hit them up for all your accounting needs. 
and tell them the real sports guy sent you. Now, we're going to jump into this funky editorial like we always do about this time. So I'm going to go ahead and hit you with the sound, and we're going to go ahead and get it live. Fellas, only one thing we need to say. Shall we say it, y'all? Melvin, Jimmy, Coleman, Ryan, say it. Everybody want to get funky one more time. All right, so we're going deep tonight, fellas. We're going to really tackle some stuff and get into some, some, some something that's a pretty hardcore issue um, as far as the role of athletes as role models. You know, Barkley once said that, you know, I am not a role model. And for a long time, I firmly believe that athletes shouldn't be role models. We shouldn't place these guys on a pedestal simply because of things they can do physically. Um, you know, just because you can put a ball in a basket – or, you know, you can run a four four forty doesn't necessarily mean I want you uh influencing the decisions of my child. Um, on the flip side of that coin, the reality of it is is kids do follow athletes. And where do we strike that balance as a society for recognizing that and holding athletes to a higher standard, but also trying to provide kids with a, a different uh different role models um, and a different paradigm for thinking about who they want to follow and who they want to emulate. First, just give me your experience as a as a youngster growing up, and I want to start with you, PhD. Who are some people, athletes in particular, that you looked up to as a youngster, and would you still look up to them now, or, or, or how do you feel about that relationship you had with them now that you're older, you got more perspective than an adult? Um were they people you should have looked up to? Uh, Dr. J is one. <laughs> Remember, as a as an eight or nine year old, uh, Dr. J was a Christian, and so in church you always saw the gospel tract, and uh, <laughs> Dr. J was on the cover of them. Of them, uh, he was the example that the Sunday school teachers always used. Another guy was Isaiah Thomas. Uh, growing up in Michigan. Then winning championships and and I did Isaiah just being the face of the franchise for the entire eighties and a few years into the nineties um he was a detroit piston um the second part of your question, looking back now you know do I see them as role models? do I still hold them to that standard? No, I don't um because now I understand that. Just because you have world-class athletic ability does not make you a world-class person. Um, and so my my expectations and standards for them are are a lot more realistic than they were as a child. And, and now I understand that they're just people and they make mistakes. And it's, you know, and people make mistakes and it's okay if you learn from them. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, Justin, you have a little boy, correct? I've got a little boy and a three-year-old little girl. Okay. So now you're kind of in a similar stage to me. I have a son who's nine, and he's kind of getting into sports. He's starting to be able to identify people. Oh, that's Peyton Manning. Oh, that's uh, you know that's Megatron. You know, oh, oh that that's that that's LeBron James. And so he's able to identify these guys now, and you know the names and the, the numbers and the jerseys mean something to him. How do you feel about your kids potentially idolizing athletes? I tell you this: 
I idolized athletes growing up. And at the time, I saw nothing wrong with it. And my my favorite athlete, if, if you're an RSG follower or if you're PT or the game changer, you know. The, I, the athlete I idolized growing up was the one, the only, Allen Iverson. And mm-hmm. at the time, I thought there was nothing wrong with that, okay? I now live in Atlanta, Georgia, and I see Allen Iverson hanging out at bars that I wouldn't hang out at, doing things that I would not do. So the older I am, the more perspective I gained on these guys are just like us. They just worked a little harder or played a little better or had more athleticism. So while I think that I put the onus on the parents to teach their kids right from wrong, I make it a point every day to be my son's role model, whether it's in him seeing my work ethic by getting up early in the morning, getting his breakfast prepared, getting him prepared for school, you know, he's, he's, uh, he just turned seven, year, seven years old on Halloween. Every day he sees me get up and get dressed and go to work, even after a long night, even after a long road trip that I've been on for work. So I want him to see my hard work more so than I do the athlete's hard work, but I give him choice, okay? I give him choice. If he wants to idolize an athlete, I'll allow him to do so, but I also – talk to him about that athlete's just the real person. He just has a different job than dad. His job is to entertain and play his sports. Dad's job is to get up, go go to work, and, and provide for you. So by the time he gets to be my age, but hopefully a little bit earlier in life, he'll realize that, you know what, I don't need to idolize an athlete, okay? I can idolize somebody that's doing positive things in life other than dribbling a basketball or throwing a football. So I try to offer yeah. perspective more so than steer him in one way or the other. Okay. And, and I love what you said here on values and those values that, you know, kids need to have like a strong work ethic. You know, those things are, are the things that I think are real important. Now, I'm going I'm to I'm I'm take that question a step further and say, let's say your son is 10 or 11 and he wants to put up a poster in his room of an athlete. How are you going to feel, how are you going to, you know, you kind of talked about uh, explaining the athlete and, and putting the athlete in perspective. How are you going to break down that conversation? How are you going to have that conversation, that hypothetical conversation with your son about who gets to go up on his wall or who he or she to put up on their wall in their bedroom if they want to have a poster of, of someone who's an athlete that they idolize? You know, you know what? I actually talk to my son in, in very great detail about real-life scenarios. I've learned in my 12-year professional career uh, in, in the hospitality industry and being challenged by customers or being challenged by those that I work with or being challenged by superiors, no matter good or bad, or even challenged by my wife for that matter, no matter good or bad, transparency is key, Okay. So I talked to him about transparency. He's got a picture of Al Horford up on his wall, and he loves Al Horford. And I said, why do you like Al Horford? He said, Dad, because you like him. I said, okay, it's good for now, but Al Horford's been a stand-up guy ever since we've known anything about him. He's also got a picture of Allen Iverson on his wall. And I said, this is Dad's favorite player, but it doesn't have to be yours, okay? And I also asked him why he likes these players, 
and we talk about things that they do on and off the court to allow him to uh, create his own perspective as to why he likes players. I think at seven is too young for him now to decipher athletes doing good from bad. But I think with the national media and everything that's going on in the NFL right now and with Allen Iverson and with other players that I grew up idolizing, it's making the conversation easier for me as long as I provide transparency. And I think that's the key in parenting kids in this era. I think our parents in our era, you know, granted I may be two, three younger than you and PT, but our parents kind of shielded us from negativity and try to steer us down a different path. And we, you know, we, we created our own lane. Whereas I think the more transparency you give anybody in the world, whether it's a kid, whether it's an adult, whether it's a peer, whether it's a client, I think the better off the world will be because transparency is key. Well said, well said. Some really strong points right there. Now I'm going to bring PhD back into this. Now, PhD, is it fair for society to hold athletes to a higher standard because they may be looked up to by a uh, a young person? I don't think it is, um, but the reality of the matter is that they are. Um, and I think that they're held to a higher standard because they're visible, you know, to Justin's point. Um I don't really think that's fair. I really don't. Um, to my earlier point that just because somebody has world-class athletic ability, they're one of the few, few people in the world that can play, you know, in the NBA or the NFL, um, I don't think that speaks to their maturity as a person. You know, a lot of these athletes, um, well, some athletes, I guess I should say, have been sheltered most of their life and have always been in a bubble where people are holding them up on a pedestal. And I, so I think in some ways they don't develop um, like the average person develops throughout their life, you know, as a teenager, as a young person, and they're used to people doing for them or giving them second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth, chance, uh, sixth chances, and they're just not forced to grow up like the rest of us are. Um, I don't think it's fair that they're held to a higher standard. I guess in some ways I'm like Charles Barkley, um, with the caveat that we have to tell our kids and teach our kids, you know, I mean, I love what Justin said in terms of how he's raising his son now, and as the son gets older, you know, it's like, okay, you like Al, but why do you like Al Horford? Those kind of discussions, I think, are key. And I'm not naive enough to think that that's happening in every home in America because it's not. Um, but I think that's a great, great plan. I just, when I see things in the news now, I just kind of take a step back and say, you know, I really hope this person, you know, gets it and moves on from it and tries not to make that same mistake twice. Um I I don't step away saying that this person let me down. This person let, you know, people that look up to them down. I, I just don't look at it like that. Um, but, again, I'm a man in my 30s. You know, I think the biggest point here that we're making is that kids are a lot more impressionable. Um, 
And I feel like I feel like it's one thing to let the media down and you know, you're a role model letting kids down. I think the biggest issue is letting down your teammates. Letting down people who depend on you. So if you're in a team sport like Ray Rice was, you know, and in football, everybody in that locker room, because of his foolish action, you know, now that football team, in addition to everything that's going on in his life and his family's life, but, you know, I grew up in team sports like the rest of us did, that when you do something boneheaded in school, when you skip school or you get in a fighting school or whatever it is and you can't play, you're not just letting yourself down, you're letting your teammates down. And that's the worst thing when you got to sit in that locker room and you see your team is out there hurt and you can't do nothing to help them. You know, I think from that standpoint, um, I think that's a teachable moment for kids. Okay. Now, what do you think about the idea that, and I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second, and what do you think about the concept, and my wife says this all the time, you know, we'll be watching ESPN or some sporting event, get some news that comes across the ticker. So-and-so, like Clay, Clay Thompson, just signed a $70 million extension. And her question always is when she sees you is, what makes him worth $70 million? All he's doing is playing basketball. You know, as an advocate, I, I bring up the old adage to much is given, much is expected. How do you balance that concept with what we get from our athletes sometimes? That's a great point. Um, I, Can I chime in while you think about it, PT? Sure. The question is, to whom much is given, much is expected. Do you think that they gave Clay Thompson that $70 million? You don't think that he's earned that $70 million through his hard work and dedication throughout his entire life? I wish no, I could I'm not, be I'm Clay not disputing Th- whether he earned it. I'm not disputing whether he earned it. What I'm saying is, is he's getting it, right? He's getting and it because he earned it. Just like I earned the little change I make from Hyatt Hotels Corporation, and I feel like I'm just as valuable to them as Clay Thompson is to the Golden State Warriors, and I earn every bit of it. So I think that regardless of how much you make, I think that you have to put it in perspective as to what your earning potential is. And, you know, to us three middle-class Americans, we may look at it and say, yeah, they gave him all that money. He should be doing X, Y, Z this way, which he should. But to those guys in the hood, they're saying, oh, he made $70 million. And the motivation they're providing those kids in the hood are, if I just work harder at my game, I can make $70 million. So that's why the kids in the hood or the, the less than middle class kids are working as hard as they can at something else other than being in the hood, and they're working towards that. So Clay is providing an option for them. He's providing hope for them. So he's doing that. That's what his responsibility is, to provide these kids hope. And what you do when you mess up, you get you get fined for it, you get suspended for it, and you can't you can no, you have a, a limited ability to provide the hope that you've always provided, and, and that right there is is where you draw the a fine line. Okay, that's where I think you draw the fine line is. Okay, 
you're giving this kid hope, you did something bad, the media scrutinized you, now you're a bad guy. We've all made mistakes. They just haven't been publicized. And our right. jobs aren't giving these kids hope. So it's, it's a very fine line on what line you stand on if, when, it, when you break it all down is all I'm saying. Okay. Excellent perspective. Excellent perspective. Uh, PAC, you got any thoughts on that particular idea? Uh, any comments on that particular idea? Um, yeah. I, so, so college athletes um, have a hard time when people um, like Jameis Winston or Johnny Menzel last year. I really have a hard time when when people look at these student athletes, which in general are kids. Um, you know, 19, 20 years old. I really have a hard time when people hold them accountable the same way they hold pro athletes accountable that are generally older um, and adults. Um, I just really have a hard time because when you're on a college campus, all three of us, you know, experience this, there's, there's a certain um, freedom and certain cushion that you get to mess up. Um, and a kid like Jameis Winston or Johnny Manziel, they just don't have that because when they mess up, everybody's running it. And even if it's stuff like Jameis Winston got up in the middle of a student union and yelled out some profound um, or a profanity statement, I should say not profound. Yeah, it's definitely not <laughs> profound. <laughs> and... You know, this is something that thousands of kids are doing. It doesn't make it right, but that's, that's what happens in college. But yet, you know, he's the one that's getting suspended for a game. And, you know, I just have a hard time when um, – I don't have a hard time with the suspension, but I have a hard time when I turn on ESPN and I hear people holding these college kids to the same standard that you would hope that professional athletes uh, and those that are grown, um, you know, would behave. I, you know, to your point of what your wife had mentioned, um, I, you know, I, I'm actually happy that um, non-athletes are also being held to the same um, standard in a lot of ways. So if you have an executive or a CEO that does something stupid, um, they're being held accountable in terms of losing their jobs um, or being fined or whatever it is because for so long it was my perception that our our leaders, um, you know, our social leaders, our business leaders weren't being held to the same accountability because there wasn't a flashlight being flashed on them. And it was, well, if they're still making the company profitable, that's fine. But with athletes, it's not fine for them to be um, second-class citizens in terms of their behavior, um, even though they may be performing at their jobs. So I'm happy to see that there's more of a balance there in terms of outside of sports. Um, the reality of it is, is if you get paid that kind of money and you're the face of a franchise, all of a sudden you're going to be held to a higher standard. Um, but I do feel like those things work out on themselves if, if if athletes make bonehead decisions um, 
The team may not be able to suspend them. They may not be able to take their salary away. But guess what? There are a lot of endorsements that that athlete is not going to get. And so in some ways I feel like the market, you know, takes takes care of the, that kind of boneheaded behavior. Um, but in general, you know, I guess my stance is, is that I feel like there needs to be more of a objective standard to what happens to these athletes um, when they make mistakes. You know, we're seeing what's going on with Ray Rice right now. You know, the young man gets suspended for two games initially, then there's a big, you know, outcry, public outcry because of the video that came out, and now all of a sudden he gets, you know, suspended indefinitely. That's double jeopardy. That's the first thing I heard. Like, that's the first thing that came to my mind when I heard this. I, I remember I was, I was in the barbershop, you know, when ESPN was talking about that he got suspended for the rest of the year once the video came out. And, you know, it's a situation now where, <laughs> you know, Newsom came out right away, his GM, and said, well, Ray pretty much told us what was on the video. And I think based on Newsom's, you know, statement, there's a whole lot of people back, you know, backtracking with the Ravens organization and the NFL, and I'd be very surprised if Ray Rice does not get his uh, suspension over hell and he's able to return to football for that reason. Very good statement. So I'm going to kind of take the last word to wrap up this segment. Um, the thing that I, I like the listeners to take away from this is that I agree with you guys on a lot of levels. The parents have to play a stronger role in helping kids understand what is a role model and why should you look up to player X or player Y or player Z. Um, I think society needs to take a step back. And with college kids, you know, I always thought college was like Las Vegas with study sessions. What happens in college stays in college. <laughs> and we like that for us for the most part. You know what I'm saying? For us, it was kind of like that. I think for this younger generation, particularly high-profile athletes, what's happening in college is not staying in college, and kids aren't allowed to be college kids in that way. The thing that I like to listen to leave with, first and foremost, is that as these kids, as Justin said, they get hope from these athletes. And oftentimes, as someone who works in education, I see teachers do this a lot. They'll talk to a kid, and the kid will say, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they'll say, I want to be a football player. Well, why don't you be a doctor? As if for a kid from the hood, that's any easier. <laughs> you feel me? Like, there are no doctors in your family. There are no doctors in your bloodline. But all of a sudden, somehow, it's supposed to be a better dream for this particular kid from public inner city school to want to be a doctor rather than an athlete. Instead of telling the kid that they should be something else than what they want to be, Highlight the hard work and perseverance and the focus and the mental toughness that it takes to achieve any of those things, to become a doctor or a lawyer or a professional athlete. It's going to take a lot of mental fortitude, a lot of hard work to reach those goals, and that's what we should be focusing on with our kids rather than telling them crushing dreams um, and telling them that they can't be something. Unveil and pull back the curtain and let them know what it, what it will take for them to be successful and whatever it is they decide to do. Because if they don't become an athlete, that hard work is going to translate into something else. That fortitude is going to translate into something else. And those are the important skills that kids need to learn. When they learn how to shoot a basketball or not, um, is irrelevant as long as they develop a work ethic. And, and Justin, I applaud you for what you're doing for your little man and your little girl because it's important, man. And and parents are the the first teachers. So you listen to The Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com. 
RSG, Renegade Radio. We're keeping it live and funky. We just finished up a great edition of the Funky Editorial. Uh, we're going to roll in and start talking about the NFL. Uh, we're in full swing NFL. Um, we all got fantasy teams, et cetera, and we're trying to uh, keep afloat. Um, and we're going to get into that in a little bit. But before we get into kind of talking about that kind of stuff, I want to touch base on Brady versus Manning. Now, as of right now, I would say if you polled Gen Pop football guy, he would say that Peyton Manning would be rated higher on his list of all-time great quarterbacks than Tom Brady. Now, I want to get a straw poll of the three-man booth and see how we feel about that general perception. Do we agree with it? Do we disagree? Why, why not? I'm going to start with you, Justin. Do you disagree with that general perception that Peyton Manning is probably going to be rated higher than Tom Brady on Jim Pop football guys' list of all-time greatest QBs? Now, before I answer that with any credence, please describe to me who Jim Pop is. Because that's that, a that regular average football dude who is maybe not deep into the game. They watch a lot of sports Center. You know, they, they, they're they average, run-of-the-mill football fan. They're not the guy who's reading articles, who's studying coaches' film. You know, we're not talking about Jaws Light here, right? We're talking about the average guy, Sunday football fan. The rest of the week is kind of paying attention, but not really deep into numbers and stats and, and that kind of stuff. Guy's not I'm, like I'm that. I'm, I'm going to pull a, <laughs> uh, a PhD here. I'm, I'm going to give you a real short statement. Ignorance is bliss. If you're not paying attention, then you got no credence in my book. I'm a Tom Brady guy through and through. He went to college in my home state. I followed him his entire career. He was a six-round draft pick who turned out he should have been a number one draft pick, and to me he's the best quarterback I've ever seen play this game. He can beat anybody on any given night. He can throw a crisper ball in wind and snow and sleet and in, 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 in heaven, you name it. He's my guy. He, he's got more championships than every, everybody not named Joe Montana. He's got less talent than Peyton Manning, and Peyton can rarely beat him. I, I don't even understand. To be honest, I don't, I, we should move on to basketball. <laughs> wow. Tom Brady's Tell my guy. Feel, brother. Tell him how you feel. PhD, any counters to that? Or are you on the same page as this guy? Yeah, same page. Mm. Hmm. Well, this is going to be a short conversation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because you know what, Justin, I'm totally with you. I'm totally with you. And But I, I, this is the thing that I do acknowledge is I think the, the general public perception is that Manning is viewed as being the better quarterback between the two from a historical perspective because he has the records, he has the numbers. But I'm all in with you. You can't be in the discussion for greatest of all time of anything if you weren't the greatest in your own era. And I think any Peyton Manning fan would be hard-pressed to make a concrete argument based on anything factual other than make-believe stuff um, that Peyton Manning is the best quarterback of this era. Well, now please allow I, me to do I this. Take a counter position. Good luck. Go ahead. No. I, I was going to say, I, I don't want what I said to come off as a knock on Peyton Manning. That's Ooh, what I don't want to do. We're talking about the best of the era. The fact that he's even in this conversation is we we giving credit. We're giving credit where credit is Okay. Due. I just wanted to make PhD, sure. I just you, wanted to make you, sure. PhD, you, you said you was going to try to throw a counter out. Attack. Yeah. 
Yeah, I you know, I think the counter argument is a strong argument. Um clearly not one that I subscribe to. Um, I'll say it twice, clearly not one that I subscribe to, but I do think it is a strong argument that um football is a team sport. It really is. And quarterbacks I think within team sports may have the most control, um, like may be the biggest, most influential position of most team sports. Sure, pitchers are important. Maybe they're more important than quarterbacks. You know, don't want to get on too tangential here. Um, you know, but quarterbacks require a, a whole nother unit to be successful, as in the defense that they have nothing to do with. So when you look at some of those um, Indianapolis Colts teams versus those um, Patriots teams of the last decade, I think most years it was pretty clear that the Colts had an inferior team, um, a good team, but an inferior team to those Patriots teams. And so for that reason, I would certainly listen to a discussion that, hey, Peyton Manning is an elite quarterback. He's a first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback. He's probably one of the best five to ten quarterbacks that have, have ever walked this earth. Uh, and maybe at times he's been better than Tom Brady. Um, right now, I would take Peyton Manning to lead my team than Tom Brady. I would. But when you look at the careers, um, I can't get past those championships. And to me, that really uh, – I could never get very comfortable with that being my bottom line championship. I just hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But I'm endorsing it. But I hate it because, you know – you have a whole other unit, a defensive side of the ball um, that a quarterback has nothing to do with. And the defense, in my opinion, influences the game just as much of a, as the offense does. It does. And so, you know, it's, it's one of those things like, would Michael Jordan be the best player ever if he had no say in the defense at all? Meaning that there were two different units. You know, you score your basket, and all of a sudden, another five comes out to play on defense. Do we hold Michael Jordan and other basketball players in the same light? We probably wouldn't. But for quarterbacks, that's that's what we do. We don't do it for running backs. We don't do it for most other positions on the football field. But for quarterbacks, we do. And and I think if somebody was to really drive into that conversation, when you look at Peyton Manning's statistics, they are far superior to to uh, Brady, and, and Brady has excellent statistics. Um, but I do see credence in the Peyton Manning conversation and that side of the argument. Hmm. And, and where I would challenge you on that is that I think the point of comparison would would be more around given, given weapons, that the, given the talent that each quarterback has been given, because as a quarterback, you can only work with what you got, right? You're absolutely right. You play one side of the ball. Who has done more with the talent that they've played with? You know, I think Peyton Manning has been blessed with three, at least three what I would say top five level receivers during that particular time that he was playing with that player. Currently, Demarius Thomas, previously, Reggie Wayne, prior to that, Marvin Harrison. Yeah. He's had some really strong running backs. 
not so much recently, but, well, he's had one. He's had edge. And he had edge at the beginning. He hasn't really played with a strong runner since. Adai had some moments, but never. Edge was the dude. Brady had Corey Dillon at the end of his career, Randy Moss at the end of, at the end of his career, and now he has Gronk. Um, but beyond that, he's never really had the plethora of, of weapons that Manning has had. Now, if we were just going to go over, off of statistics and not take into the entire uh, entirety of a football team, I still think you have a strong argument that Manning's numbers have been supported by the fact that he's played in, with way more talent than Brady has ever had on any of his rosters. Um, other than that year when he had Moss, and what did he do that year? Set the record for touchdown passes. Yeah. If I were so, on this side of the conversation, which which yeah. I guess I am on this argument right now, um, here is what I would want the person saying this side of the argument to say, and, and I'm going to ask you guys this question, both of you all. How many championships, if if Peyton Manning, during his days in Indianapolis, just to say those 10 years, if he had that Patriot defense, how many championships do you think Peyton Manning would have won? I'll take you a step further and say let's let's switch Brady and Manning and how many championships do they win. I think that's a fair argument. If we took Brady and put him on the coach and put Manning on the Patriots, are they still is Brady still beating him? I'm likely to say yeah. Brady's still probably winning. <sighs> Justin, what do you think? I think that too subjective. It's too like while I love the, the, the spirit of debate and and the art of, of sports conversation, sometimes I like to step back and say, guys, all things aren't equal. If Michael Jordan didn't have Scottie Pippen and Phil Jackson, well, he have got six. If Kobe didn't have Shaq, well, he have got the first three. If if ifs were fifths, no. we'd all be drunk. But <laughs> no, if, if, if we, but <laughs> Let's not go that's there. what I'm saying. If we swapped them out, <laughs> everything would be different. You can't just equate. You know, would would Brady then be poor in the cold because he had played in the dome his first decade of his career? Would would you know Peyton had a pretty good defense last year, if you ask me? So why didn't he win it last year? He could have got his second one to be one step closer to Brady. I just think let's look at it for what it is, and what it is is Tom Brady's the better quarterback. Peyton may be the better uh, uh, one other quarterback or the better game manager with talent, or or the better regular season quarterback, but we're not just looking at regular season. We're, just, we're not looking at just warm weather, cold weather. We're looking at the broader spectrum of what has taken place in their careers. And I think we should leave the question at that, and my bottom line answer to that will always be uh, uh, Tom Brady, and I don't think there's anybody on the planet that, convince, that can convince me otherwise. Okay. Well, I don't know. If, I, mean, I don't know if Tom Brady is a better quarterback than Peyton Manning. I don't know about that. I, I think he's had a better career. He's had a more successful career. But I don't know if he's a better um, quarterback. I mean, it's kind of like saying, um, you know, who's the better scorer right now, uh, LeBron James or Carmelo Anthony, 
or Kevin Durant. Well, there's a lot of people that will say that Durant or Anthony are a better scorer, but most reasonable people will say LeBron James is a better player. You know, um, I I just, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's cut and clear that Tom Brady is the better quarterback. I don't. But Tom did have the better career. Or has had I would a better career. Yeah, I would. I mean, I would certainly agree with that. Then, to and, me, but then you got you got the Manning fan that says, "Well, Manning is the all-time leader in touchdown passes. He's probably going to finish the all-time leader in yardage. How can you say that Tom Brady had the better career? Because when you're talking career, you're talking individual, right? You're talking individual career." I just had a comparable yeah. conversation about a similar subject. I won't go into detail because I don't want to drag this conversation on. But a lot of the general public and national media goes with stats. Right. To me, stats don't lie, but they don't tell the whole truth. The eye test, to me, if you know the game, has a great deal of impact in my decision-making. And I've watched a great deal of Peyton Manning throughout his career. I've, I've watched a great deal of Tom Brady in his career. And I'm going on not only championships. Stats are comparable to some degree. I'm going on the eye test. And I'm going on what I see when I watch the two of them play, especially when they compete against each other. I know that's somewhat, you know, you know somewhat – uh, I don't even know the right word to use, given that they don't really compete against each other. They compete against defenses. But when I watch them play against each other, I like Tom Brady's heart. I like his will. I like his ability to throw the deep ball better. I like the spiral he throws in, in cold weather, weather better. And I like his, his, his resilience better. And I think he has more championships. And those are the reasons why I put him above – Peyton Manning, who's who's a phenomenal quarterback. Absolutely. I think the discussion is similar to Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell. You know, who's a better mm-hmm. player? Mm-hmm. Who had the better career? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I clearly I wasn't around then. I was, I was simply a twinkle in the eye uh, of John H. But, um, you know, I, <laughs> I think that Will Chamberlain was probably the better basketball player. You know, if just in terms of basketball skill, I mean, Will Chamberlain was probably the better player. Bill Russell was one of the best of all time, but when you add in what Bill brought to the game in terms of leadership and intangibles, and I'll say it, what he had around him, you know, most people will rank, uh, you know, will will rank him a lot higher than than perhaps he should have been. And you know, when when you look back at the Patriots and also the Colts, and now now we're looking at the Broncos with, with Manning. When you look at points per game, uh, Manning's teams have always scored, you know, anywhere from ten to fifteen points higher than Brady. Um, but when you look at the margin in terms of what his defense has given up. Um, it's a lot smaller um, than what Brady was dealing with, meaning that, you know, Brady had it, you know, Brady's teams may have only averaged 25 points a game in terms of scoring, but their defense was only giving up, you know, 18 to 20, whereas Peyton Manning's 
you know, had to score 40-some points because his defense was often giving up points in the 30s. And so I, I just think it's a really strong argument for um, Peyton Manning because given – and I hear your point, Justin. However, I think if we stick to that, like not discussing what ifs, I mean – we have to find a way to fill out our time every Wednesday because we wouldn't have a whole lot to talk about. Let me ask you this. Um, Let me ask you this. Peyton and Indy, who was his running back? Peyton Manning when he was in Indianapolis. He's starting off with uh, Etrick James. I'll help Falk. you out. Marshall Falk, then Etrick James. Two Hall of Famers. Right? Wrong or right? We don't like well, Andrew James and the whole thing. Um, Peyton's yeah, always had talent. Argument. Peyton's always had talent is what I'm trying to say. He had Marvin Harrison, Hall of Famer. He's in Denver. He's got he's got ball players. The, the Patriots get rid of every Tom Brady best player. Randy Moss gone. Uh, we're, we're, they get rid of everybody other than Gronk. And criminals uh, in Aaron Hernandez, but you had to get rid of him. <laughs> like that was a little blow. Tom that was Brady a little blow doesn't right have there. half of the the talent around him that Peyton has had, but he's accomplished more. That has to stand for something. I'm not really discussing their offensive weapons, though. I mean, my whole discussion has been on the defensive side of the ball. I, I like some of those Colts defenses. Dwight Freeney. Uh, was the guy with the torn bicep a couple years back. Uh, in the year they wanted, they had a much improved defense. But, I mean, like, if you look at the numbers overall, man, them cats was always giving up high 20s, low 30s in terms of points. <laughs> and and additionally, additionally, I, I do I do recall, you know, around the uh, early aughts, the early 2000s, um, you know, owning guys like Larry Johnson and Priest Holmes and couldn't wait till they played the coach run defense. That's and you you absolutely right. That's been a running joke of my life. <laughs> Bob Sanders was a beast the three games he played every season. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Bob Sanders, yeah, that's, that's who I meant. Bob Sanders. Yeah, let's wrap up this. Uh, let's wrap up this conversation. I, I think it's a, it's a great debate, and I think it's a debate, as you said, Phil, that we're going to have as sports fans for a long time. Um, there's going to be people on both sides of it. Um, I think we're all kind of on the Brady side of the of the argument, um, and I think Phil, you, you did your best to make a solid argument for um, Peyton Manning. I think you raised some good points. I, I do think you raised some good points, um, but it's going to be a Russell. Uh, Chamberlain, as you as you uh, equated it to, Phil, I think it's going to be that kind of an argument over time where, you know, it's going to depend on your taste as a sports fan. Um, it's going to depend on kind of depend on kind of your perspective. Um, but it makes for good debate. It makes for good uh, good talk. Um, we gonna get into the dog of the week. Let's go ahead and bust that out real quick. Now we're going to get into our resistance digital dog of the week. Resistance digital solutions. Are you tired of running to the boys in blue? Are you done with listening to sales staff trying to upgrade technology that you don't need? We've all been there. So, what did the real sports guys do? We contacted Resistance Digital Solutions for all our technology needs. They are not there to meet sales quotas or make profit margins. 
They simply just want to sell you what you need at a fair price. From iPads to PCs to flat screens, TVs, or intricate home theater systems, they customize every solution based on your needs. Check out their website at www.resistancedigital.com or email them at sales at resistancedigital.com for your custom technology solutions today. All right. We'll start out with you, Justin, our, our guest. You know how it goes. We need more dogs. I'll tell you this. I wasn't necessarily 100% prepared, but I get prepared uh, uh, very quickly. If you stay prepared, you never have to get prepared. Uh, and I am going to, uh, uh, contrary to what you two probably think, I'm going to, again, you know, for all the RSG listeners who, who uh, know me, they know I'm somewhat of a contrarian, I'm going to pick a dog of the week that shot the ball 37 times last night. Okay, you guys have a problem with Kobe Bean Bryant shooting the ball 37 times. I'm going to take a different perspective and say anybody who has the gall to shoot the ball 37 times and to talk to the media and tell the media how he really feels about his backcourt mate and tell him he needs to uh, uh, urinate on a fire hydrant, meaning basically have the balls to do whatever it takes to win, I'm giving that guy dog of the week any day of the week because I want that from my leader. He demands more from his ball players, and he said, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to do it. So they forced him to shoot the ball 37 times. Granted, I would like him to score at a more efficient clip, but it's the mentality that is earning Kobe Bean Bryant my dog of the week. All right. I can't argue with that. It takes – it takes a, a special brand of dog <laughs> to shoot the ball 37 <laughs> times. Then get in front of the media, call out your teammates. <laughs> As if it's their fault you had to shoot the ball 37 times. <laughs> it takes a special brand of dog. I like that one. Uh, PhD, you know how we do. We need more dogs. Yeah, somewhere Smush Parker is just uh, real upset right now. Um, my dog of the week. <laughs> my dog of the week is Derrick Rose. I I watched the Cleveland Cavalier game this past Friday in Chicago um, on TV, and there was just a certain level of warmness in my heart to see the young man get back to doing his thing on the basketball court. And uh, there were stretches that he was the best, if not the second best player on the court. Uh, it was really, really exciting. Unfortunately, he busted up his ankles, but I believe that he played tonight. So it's good to see him back, and I, I hope he has a healthy, um, great season. Yeah, I wish him the same. And this, the funny thing I saw about that game, I watched the same game. We were kind of texting back and forth during the game. It's just every time that brother came down wrong, the crowd was just like, oh, no. Oh, and I was too. I was like, "Oh, come on, man, just run it off, <laughs> run it off." <laughs> you know, so I think everybody's rooting for him to have a healthy season, to to be what he was, to come close to it at least. So I'm with you on that. Shout shout out to D Rose, shout town in the house. Uh, my dog of the week. Let me go ahead and get the sound we up. We need more dogs. My dog of the week is Ben Roethlisberger. Um, ben has been snapping. <laughs> 
I mean, somebody is playing Madden and using the Steelers in franchise mode. Because <laughs> Ben is putting up Madden-esque numbers. Uh, like, he got it. And, and it's on easy. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's on pro right now. Ben is just throwing the ball. Receivers are running wide open. You know, the defense is just they're blitzing on every play, and he knows, you know. So, uh, shout-out to Ben Roethlisberger. Two consecutive weeks of six-plus touchdowns. That's just unheard of. That is really just unheard of and somewhat sickening. Um, so, props to him for lighting up the league these last two weeks. Um, fellas, we're going to get into something we all love, and we got Justin in the house. And when you bring Justin Page in the house, you got to talk to NBA. you got to yeah. do it. You just got to do it. So we're going to get into some NBA talk. We're going to talk about this first week of the NBA season. You're listening to The Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, brought to you by Resistance Digital. Uh, we're talking NBA talk. We got Justin Page in the house. Justin, what are some things that caught your eye this first week, some observations? some you, You're good with some – what are some declarations you're ready to make after one week of hooping? Man, I'll just tell you this. I was nervous. I'll tell. I'll be honest with you. I was nervous because we did dog of the week at ten twenty four. Okay, that's nine twenty four y'all time. I'm thinking we wrapping up the show. I'm like, we didn't even talk hoops. I was over here talking. I'm so thrilled. I'm so thrilled. I'm so thrilled. You guys brought this topic up. Um, I don't even know where to start. Uh, we we can go with the usual suspects. I, 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 you know how much I've I've always promoted the Lakers and and how Kobe can 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 uh, bring them back to the glory days. I don't know if they're gonna win a game. <laughs> <laughs> after watching these guys after week one, and and my dog of the week shooting thirty seven times, I don't know if they're gonna win a game. They second best player is Jordan Hill. Oof. Why did they even choose to pay Carlos Boozer that money, knowing that Boozer could care less? He's getting eighteen million a year from the Bulls anyway because they amnestied him. They gave this man uh, uh, the veterans minimum. They should have gave him. Uh, I don't know. They shouldn't have paid him. He, he's not worth. He's not worth the hassle. So the the Lakers are the biggest disappointment. Russell Westbrook breaking his hands, I feel like should be discussed. Uh, his hand and, and the the injuries that the OKC Thunder had faced with Kevin Durant being out, Russell Westbrook being out, Perry Jones going out last night was a huge loss to the OKC Thunder. And can they even compete, you know, past the All-Star break, knowing that they're going to be so far behind, given that their top three players, minus Serge Ibaka, are out of the lineup right now? Yeah, I think that's, um, that's the real question with that situation. I don't know. What's your assessment of that whole OKC situation, PhD? Do you think that they're going to be able to recover and bounce back from losing this many guys? Because Jeremy Lamb is out. You know, Reggie yeah. Jackson got banged up several times last night. Perry Jones was actually starting to come into his own and showing some signs of life, um, which, you know, you, you didn't know quite where he was going to be, but he was starting to be productive. Um do you think they can recover, PAZ? I don't think so because <laughs> I hate myself saying this out loud, but if the playoffs were to start today, the AC <laughs> would be Dallas. The AC would be Dallas, and Dallas is 3-1 and one right now. Again, if you have not won 75% of your games right now, you would not be making the playoffs. Now, clearly we know that's going to balance out, but 
Um, I think this team will be lucky to go 500. I think more realistically, if they can win three or four out of every ten games they play over the next month or two, um, I think that would be great. So that's already going to put them in the hole. And, you know, in the West, you probably need to win at least 60% of your games um, to really have a realistic shot. So I don't think they can do it, even having, you know, two of the top ten players in the game. Yeah, and it's, and it's a bit disappointing um, because I wanted to see Westbrook kind of have his own squad for an extended period of time. I was excited to see yeah. that. You know, what would he look like as the as the 1A on his team? And, you know, he, he messed up his hand. So the, the, that definitely was a damper. Justin, what else you got for us? What, what are some well, other well, first of all, you said what us? he would have looked like as the 1A. Game one, he had 38. Okay, and he shot a pretty decent shooting percentage, uh, led the team in assists, had a couple steals. So I think that's a pretty good indication of what he would have been had he continued on this journey. Um, however, moving on, I like to look at Cleveland. Uh, you you got to bring them up. Uh, uh, to me, they're the Miami Heat of last year or four years ago, the first year the Miami Heat were constructed. These super – threesomes that LeBron manages to construct just don't seem to have the instant success that the national media and and, and uh, uh, all of us basketball fans think they should have. You think just because you have all that talent on the floor, you should win. And I think it shows you that chemistry is is a bigger factor than talent. I think it tells you that defensive concepts and understanding where to be and where not to be at all times on the floor is bigger than being able to put the ball in the hole. Um, I think LeBron James's inconsistent passive play is affecting Cleveland negatively because he's trying to prove a point, saying, Kevin Love, do what you've always done, okay? Do what you've always done. You've never been to the playoffs. Kyrie Irving, do what you've always done. Play Rucker Park basketball in the NBA. All right, I'm going to prove a point to you, young fellas, okay? I got two championships. I'm the king. Follow my lead, and we can take this thing home. But I'm going to let you guys play your way. I'm going to let Deion Waiter shoot more than LeBron James for the moment. <laughs> just, to, just to prove a point, okay? And I think that come second half of the season, LeBron and Blatt, you know, Coach Blatt and the assistant coach and LeBron James, the head coach, and GM, is going to get those guys in order. I think Deion Waiters is going to be moved, and I think yeah, the other two guys are going to come around and end up playing like LeBron James wants them to play because LeBron is going to force them to understand, you know, Cleveland got a lot of bad habits. They, they, they brewed over the years. These guys ain't won nothing forever. So they need to follow LeBron's lead and let that man lead them to greatness because what they're doing right now ain't going to work. It's not going to work. And, you know, somebody, they're going to have to realize it sooner rather than later. Yeah. And, you know, I was watching the games this weekend, this, this first week, and I, I and I texted uh, PhD and D. Wills. Shout out to D. Wills. Shug out there holding it down, you know, doing big things. I think he's in, yeah. I think he's in Ann Arbor this week. Um, you know, shout out to D. Wills. Uh, we were having a conversation, and I made the proclamation. I made the proclamation that Chicago right now has more upside, and to me, is a team to beat in the in the Eastern Conference 
Cleveland will be good. They're going to go through some growing pains, but they will be good. But I think overall Chicago has more upside as a team. What do you think about that statement, Justin? Am I, tell, me, tell me I'm crazy or tell me I'm right. Right now you're absolutely correct. Right now. Only because Tom Thibodeau has a proven system and they play defense and they've got chemistry. If you notice, when I discuss the Cleveland Cavaliers, I talk more about talent. But I, when I said to you what they don't have is chemistry, defense, and an identity. And that's what Chicago has, even with D. Rose not looking like D. Rose. So I have to agree with you from that standpoint. I'd also throw in that Washington, to me, looks a little better than Cleveland at the moment. Washington is a, is a team that made strides last year, made it to the second round of the playoffs, and they're primed to make a run. Okay? Yeah. Miami, smartest team in basketball. Mario Chalmers, D-Wade, veterans. Chris Bosh is playing like a man who's out to prove something. So it's not a given that Cleveland is going to do anything special this year. I'd argue that they're not going to win anything this year, and we may see some changes. Kevin Love is not re-signed for next year. Okay? LeBron has the, has the opt-out clause. Kevin Love's from Los Angeles. Okay? If it doesn't go well this year, I'm anxious to see what happens with the league next year. But to answer your question, Chicago is a better team than Cleveland. Washington's a better team than Cleveland. And Miami currently, and again, it's week one, so let's not get too ahead of ourselves. But it's week one. Miami Heat is a better team than the Cleveland Cavaliers. My Atlanta Hawks are a better team than the Cleveland Cavaliers right now. But let's have this conversation after the All-Star break and see how things lay down. I predicted originally that Cleveland was going to be 500 after their first 10 games. I don't know if that's going to even happen. But I'm not worried about them, and I think they'll come around in the second half of the season once they get it together and LeBron James put it, puts his stamp on, on this ball club. Okay. And, and let me explain my statement um, as to why what I, what I saw – that put Chicago as that team for me. Um, comparing the two rosters, um, I think you, you, hit it, you hit it on the head. Chicago has more of an identity right now. Um, the reason I think they have more upside is because I still think they're in the early stages of figuring out the chemistry piece, the rotation piece, because they have four bigs that they can play. And I don't think Tibbs has quite figured out how to use them effectively. You know, the other night, Gasol didn't play the last – you know, Tibbs has his, his end-of-the-game group, right? Gasol's not in that group. You know, so I think there's still some, some, some figuring out. Derrick Rose still has to kind of get his rhythm. McDermott and, and Miritich off the bench have to still kind of grow into their roles. So I think there's a lot of growth with that Chicago team. But I think even within that growth, there's a stability and a continuity that already exists with that group that is already solidified. And those pieces, they're going to be good even if those pieces don't pan out. Well, I think Cleveland is waiting on some guys to figure some stuff out, and they're waiting on more guys to figure some stuff out, and they don't have that chemistry. They don't have that solidified identity. And I think that is going to put them behind Chicago as far as that long-term this season evolution. Beyond this season, it's anybody's ball game. But I think as far as that this season and that evolution this year, Chicago to me has more upside as a team to be coming out of the East this year because they're way ahead of Cleveland in some fundamental areas and they still have room to grow and get better 
um, with some very key pieces where I think Cleveland has a lot of work to do as far as figuring out their identity, figuring out how some of these guys are going to fit in, and it's going to take a while. And then once they get that figured out, then they got to solidify it and play that way for an extended period of time. And, you know, they'll probably still be able to get into the playoffs and be one of the top teams and be in the conversation. But I think they may be behind Chicago by quite a bit by the time they figure it out. Chicago will have either figured it out, played that way for an extended period of time, and mastered the style that they want to play. And that's what you want to do. You want to get to that point where you've mastered your style. And that's what San Antonio had last year. They mastered the style of play that they wanted to play at, and there was nothing that Miami team could do about it. Chicago has that kind of potential. Will they reach it? We'll see. But they have that kind of potential because of where their starting point, and that's kind of where I was at when I kind of threw that out there. P.A., what are your, some of your thoughts on this first couple of weeks of the season, some things that kind of caught your eye, other than uh, Marcin Gortat looking like a created character from uh, NBA 2K14? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go real quickly because I want to yield most of my time to Justin. Um, first, I'll say Clay Thompson is leading the league at 30 points per game. I chose not to keep him as one of my three keepers in my fantasy league. Oh. Anthony, Anthony Davis is averaging 24, 13, and four blocks. That's just absolutely sick. Um, I was wrong. <clears throat> okay. Every time Anthony and Davis comes I'm, up, I'm just going to say that. <laughs> no, right. I just said, I'm just going to own that. I'm just going to own that. I was wrong. And then the last thing that I'll say is Paul Gasol. Um, Paul Gasol may, when we look back at this season, Paul Gasol might be one of the top five off-season acquisitions over the past five years. Because um, cause I think adding him to the mix in Chicago makes Chicago legit. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and just a note on the Clay Thompson piece, you know, um, he wound up on somebody else's team, a guy, pretty handsome dude, goes by the game changer. Um, he appreciates mm. that, Bill. I appreciate that great. <laughs> Scooped him up real quick there. <laughs> this is so, the rule of fantasy, player. guys, let me tell you. It's troublesome so when you're one year ahead. I kept. I kept Kyle Lowry. I kept. Um, Curry, Steph Curry. Then I was torn between keeping Big Al Jefferson or Dirk. I kept Dirk because I figured Al uh, just can't stay healthy for two uh, straight years. And, and so uh, had I been able to keep four keepers, I probably still wouldn't have kept Thompson, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I got to chime in. USA stint, man. You always got to get a guy out that Team USA stint. You always got to get the guy yeah, out there. That's yeah. your rule. That's your rule. You put me yeah, on that. It is. It is. It is. And, and I like well, all I, well, three, I will man. tell you. Both. Go ahead, Justin. I said, well, I'll tell you both. I agree with that USA Team USA rule and PhD based on which. At first, I was disappointed in your in your dropping Clay, but after hearing your your reasons, I would have dropped Clay too, but I would have dropped Dirk. You, you got to keep Al Jeff. Al Jeff is the catalyst in Charlotte. He changed Charlotte's franchise. He changed their culture. He leads the team in rebounds. He leads the team in points. He he is Charlotte. You can't guess on injuries, okay? I picked Russell Westbrook in the fifth, first round 
uh, in my fantasy draft, thinking that he was going to carry the team with KD. Yes, he's injury prone, but that's a chance you have to take. Al Jefferson is is a top three center in the NBA, and you don't drop a top three center. So I'm more flabbergasted that you dropping Clay Thompson than you did Al Jefferson. I have a lot uh, of rings in fantasy basketball, so my uh, my message is <laughs> I just put that out there. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll I love it. That was that was a comeback of the year right there. That was the comeback of the year. But man, hey, I got rings. You can't argue with rings, right? Over right? here. Let's not act like I ain't never won nothing. Right. Oh man. Oh man. But let's talk about Clay Thompson for a second. Um. Is, is his play making that backcourt the best backcourt in the league, Justin? What do you think? Go to I can't find a better court? one. I can't find a better one. I've, I've said that since last year, though. I can't find You name me a better one. You, you, Steph Curry, to me, is arguably, you know, if I had a draft right now and I had to pick a point guard for getting health, my order has changed drastically since our last year's NBA update. I'd go mm, Russell Westbrook on, one. I'd go Russell Westbrook one. I go Steph Curry two. I go Chris Paul three and Tony Parker four. Okay, and Rajon Rondo finally cracked my top five. <laughs> <laughs> so, wait, so wait, 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 what changed with Rondo? What changed with Rondo? <laughs> With the fact that he, he lost those three Hall of Famers, and and minus his injury history, he's been putting up those same triple double numbers that he was putting up. <laughs> if, if you recall, back in the yeah. day, my argument was he's playing with three Hall of Famers. He's a fourth option. Teams aren't scheming for him. He, you know, let's see what he does when he's by himself. Now he's playing with me, you, PhD. <laughs> and I'll give uh, uh, Sully, Jared Sullinger, a little bit of credit so Jared Sullinger can make the team. But me, Ph.D., and Game Changer are the other three guys he's playing with, and he's still putting up. Did you see his, his line tonight? He put up a triple-double yeah. tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, he, so, he was guarding. He was guarding Lowry. Lowry put up 37 on him. Mm. He's not. A, he's not. He's he. While well, he he's kind of like Allen Iverson in that regard. He'll get you steals, but he's not a great on the ball defender. Um, right. Mm, but right. but you know I'm not gonna put him out of my top five because of that. But I will tell you that I'm gonna put John Wall at a close six, and those six are somewhat interchangeable on any given night depending on the matchup. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you got like a you got like a pool a, a gang of six that's real fluid. I like that. I like that. Absolutely. I like that. Any teams, Justin, any teams in the league that you feel like, even even it's very early, like it's super early. I mean, it's like, you know, super, super early, right? Super early in the season. Like 4 a.m. in the morning, nobody's up. It's quiet in the house early in the season. Who do you think, who do you think has a line on, um, need to get there. Who 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 needs to get it together real fast? Who well, needs it may to be get a it together. Well, I can tell you who needs to get it together and will not. That's that's the two most storied franchises in the NBA, in the Boston Celtics and the Los Angeles Lakers. 
Now, if we're going to talk about competitors, I'm going to tell you the Charlotte Bobcats. They took a real big step last year to get the number six seed in the Eastern Conference. They made big acquisitions. They went out, tried to get Gordon Hayward, failed, which I think would have been the best pickup. In, in, in You mentioned uh, earlier that um, Paul Gasol was the biggest uh, offseason acquisition. If the Charlotte Bobcats had have landed Gordon Hayward, they would have been a top four seed in the East with Kimball Walker at the point and Gordon Hayward at the three and Al, Al uh, Jefferson at the five. Them not doing that and getting Lance Stevenson, I think that's going to mess with their chemistry. I think Lance is taking too many shots. I think Lance is turning the ball over. I don't think Lance defends well <laughs> enough. And I think they're going to digress from a sixth seed and, and possibly miss the playoffs. And I think if they don't get it together quick, they're going to be on the outside looking in. Wow. Okay. Okay. So, Anthony Davis. I'm sorry. Um, I was wrong. Uh, <coughs> Anthony Davis <laughs> as the Pelicans, he, he's playing top five level ball as far as individual players in the league. He He's playing well enough to be in that top five conversation right now. Can he get the Pelicans into the playoffs? Yeah. They're going to be there. Phoenix, you see how Phoenix, how close Phoenix was last year? Who coming you out? See Dallas barely squeaked in. The Pelicans Who coming will out? be. In. What's that? If they going in, somebody's got to come out. We got OKC as a candidate. Dallas right? going out. Yeah, I, even though I like Dallas, I like I like Dallas. But Dallas is I, I don't know. The Dallas West is, is tough, so tough, man. Adam Chandler, Adam Chandler has, has helped him out a lot. You on Chandler or you on Davis? I want Davis, obviously, but <laughs> but it's not about Chandler and Davis. Is is it's about Tyreek Evans? <laughs> it's about your boy. Have you not been Reek and Drew? They they've they've had a great chemistry in the in the couple games they played uh, uh, this year. Have you watched yeah. them? I haven't They're had a chance good, to watch man. them. Now I'll tell you who's taking a step back with the with the uh, with the Pelicans, and that's Eric Gordon. And I think that yeah. they're going to make an acquisition. They're going to trade Eric Gordon and bring in some frontline help to help Omar Asik, who is also one of the biggest acquisitions that's going to help Anthony Davis's game all season long. Yeah, he's and playing well. I think I agree. Charlotte's going to get one more player on that bench to solidify them, and I think they're going to sneak in to that 7-8 seed depending on where they land. Okay, but I'm New Orleans. the East is a dogfight, man. The East is a do- – I mean, the West is a dogfight. There's no telling who's going to be a one seed or eight seed, and all of them can win, whether it's Memphis, whether it's Golden State. I, th- I think the Clippers took a step back. I don't like DeAndre Jordan anymore. I think Chris Paul is getting older, a little more content, which is why I moved him from number one to number three in my point guard rankings. Mm. I, I I don't like them that much this year. I, the West man is is completely wide open, completely. I like San Antonio number one, and every two through eight is up for grabs. I think six through eight is up for grabs in the East, but two through eight is up for grabs in the West. That's my honest opinion. Okay, okay. Sacramento, three and one start. Is this real? Have Rudy and Boogie and the crew figured it out in Sacramento, and are they going to bring back the old days? 
with a uh, with a uh, white chocolate Vlade, Kasia. Is he where? Is they about to be rocking again in Tag Town, or is this just a hot start? I think it's a hot start. In in uh, coupled with the fact that both Demarcus Cousins and Rudy Gay were on Team USA, and they learned from 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 the great coaching staff of uh, the one and only uh, coach Mike Shishetsky, uh all those great assistants they had in Timido. I think that Demarcus Cousins learned how to play defense, as did Rudy Gay. I think that Monty Williams coached those boys up and told them how to play hard on every possession. I think. Uh, I think D'Antonio is still out there this year teaching them offensive sets. I think that everything that Cousins and Rudy Gay learned during playing with Team USA, they can now take to the younger players on that team. And they could take a step in the right direction, but they're not a playoff team. Let's not fool ourselves. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it team surprises, man. Phoenix came out of nowhere last year and, and really surprised us. Who's your Phoenix for this season? Who's that team that you know, because before last season, Phoenix was, if you you asked me, I probably said it, and it's probably on tape somewhere, I probably called them a lottery squad. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think everybody kind of was, the, the the consensus was that they were headed to the lottery, um, but yet they put it together, came out of nowhere, won 48 games, um, which in the East would have put them as a three seed. Um, in the West, they didn't even make the playoffs. Um, so who's your Phoenix for this season, Justin? Now, Phoenix of the West Coast or Phoenix of the East Coast? Anywhere. Because I don't think there's thing. a Phoenix on the East Coast. I think the East Coast is pretty solidified unless the New York Knicks figure out this triangle offense. I don't. Mm. Now, now let, me ask, let me pose a question to you two before I formally respond. Do you guys think the Knicks are a playoff team? I don't. I don't. I, I, I don't. Maybe there's a move PC? that they can make, but I don't see it. I don't know. How, how about you, PhD? No, I don't. There you go. The New York Knicks are my Phoenix uh, uh, Suns of last year. While I, I don't love what I see right now, I like the, the composure that Derek Fisher has showed. I like every single opportunity I, I look up at the television screen, Derek Fisher is teaching. It doesn't even have to be a timeout. He's on the floor talking to this guy, telling him what to do. Okay? Derek Fisher has won five championships. He's played under Phil Jackson. He knows, he knows what it takes to win. And the level of coachability that he is providing these uncoachable players all of a sudden is going to have to resonate with them. Okay? And I think that once they understand that the triangle should not look like a rectangle, as they quoted last night in the game, <laughs> and it should not look like a circle, the triangle is a triangle. Okay, you got somebody at the top of the key, you got somebody in the middle, you got somebody in the corner. Three 90-degree angles forms a triangle. Once they understand that and the, the floor spacing and the concepts that the coaching staff and the uh, – uh, those from above are trying to instill in those players, and they buy in, and Melo stops getting so frustrated with the lack of talent and tries to do it all himself, I think they're going to come around. Just like Phoenix, uh, Cleveland's looking bad right now, they're looking bad, but they have the ability to put it together because they have, one, a coach who knows what he's doing, in my, in my, uh, in my mind. They have uh, uh, a star player in Carmelo Anthony who can put up 30 on any given night. And I think that they have the most ability to surprise people, and they're playing the Eastern Conference. Okay, 
they're not going to win more than 40 games. May not get 35, but they can still crack the playoffs at, you know, 30, 35, 36, 37, 38 games or so. So I think that's the team in the East that's going to surprise people the most. Excellent, excellent. Every other team in the East is tanking. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Orlando, Philly, Boston, they're all tanking. So, you know, you got to go with a team in the East. (laughs) Yeah, Indiana's tanking by default. They they just don't have a choice. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So thank you for being on with us, Justin. Um, we love having you. We're going to get into the XL Academics' last words. Um, you listen to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSG, Renegade Radio. We in the house. This is the XL Academics' last word. XL Academics, changing one mind at a time. Uh, the last word this week, um, I'll take this one. Um, I want to talk about the, uh, the NFL um, and Roger Goodell. Roger Goodell today was on the stand for two hours um, at the appeals hearing for Ray Rice. Now, if this doesn't get Roger Goodell to finally realize that he does not want to be judge, juror, and executioner, I don't know what will. And we may have to call power hungry on this one. No situation should one person have that level of responsibility and I don't say power, I say responsibility because that's what it is. He has a responsibility every time an issue arises within his league to get the decision right. And it is very difficult in a vacuum to make those kind of decisions. My hope is that from this experience that Roger Goodell has had with Ray Rice, Greg Hardy, Ray McDonald, Adrian Peterson, the list goes on that he now realizes that he needs a panel of neutral folks to come in and help him make these decisions as to when to respond, when to act, and when to provide discipline for athletes in the NFL. My hope is that he comes to this realization and they put together a panel of three to four people to arbiter, to be the arbiter in these situations. I think that will show the ability to evolve and adjust on Fidel's part. That does it for this edition of the Real Sports Guys. Hit us up at realsportsguys.com. Make sure you download the podcast. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another slamming show. D. Wills will be back in the fold. Uh, we'll have the three-man boost in full effect. Thanks to Justin Page for joining us again. Always love having you on, brother. You did a great job. Uh, we'll catch you next time. Peace. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.